I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too, like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit BetterHelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P. This is Let's Do the Right Thing in association with RadioWorks. Presented and curated by Adam Hopkinson. This is the LDTRT podcast brought in conjunction with Passion Media and Radio Works. It was set up to tell the story of leaders in the media industries and focusing on their journeys and motivations. I myself set up a media agency last year, Passion, to focus in fashion, entertainment and leisure verticals. And I've had a great load of advice in doing so. In fact, a lot of it from people on this podcast. I'm still on the mission to gather the best advice. So I'm speaking to the best people. And I am thrilled, which we've just debated, is you know, Americanizing my conversation to be speaking today with Wayne Blodwell, who's the CEO and the founder of TPA Digital. Hello, Wayne. How are you doing? Good, thanks, Adam. Good, yeah. Super excited to be here. I'm super excited that you're here, having come transatlantically for this uh, this meeting, of course. Yeah, of course. And nothing yeah. else, yeah. No, no nothing. No. Nothing family-related. No, no, no. Related. Fuck, man. It's, it's, all, it's all about <laughs> this, and my ego's exploded. Uh, there's a name change there, Wayne, already. TPA Digital. Yes. Yeah, yeah we rebranded... Uh, about this time last year, we were our services were sort of spawning beyond the programmatic only. So the programmatic advisory was just not what we did anymore. And but we wanted to keep the sort of essence of what we stand for within our name. Yep. So TPA and our TPA actually means nothing. It's just three letters that are aligned, but there's a heritage in it from the way we did before. When you've long sold it and moved on to something else somebody somewhere will ask the question one day what does it stand for and probably, no one yeah. will know probably yeah no it's just nothing three yeah. letters you've created mischief forever <laughs> <laughs> right the, the, what these podcasts are about is the journey that people have in setting up business so i want to dive in how that's been you've got an extra complication there of uh doing it in the uk and then doing it in new york as well yeah yeah moved to new york in January 2020. Yeah. Oh my God, is it really? Just before the pandemic. See, for, for me, those two years, January, sorry, uh, 2020 and 2021, I feel like time was paused. Yeah. So it doesn't feel like it was January 2020. In the middle of the pandemic, oh my God. Right, yeah, like, I've been there now for just over three years and it still feels brand new. And maybe that's just like me acclimatising and meeting people properly for the first time. Um, and I think also part COVID, you know, not being able to... Um, you know, go and see people in person. I did have to did my lockdown back in the UK because of visa complications and et cetera, et cetera. But yeah, now they're full time. Love it. Uh, just got engaged. Congratulations! So, thank you very I, much. Saw, I yeah. saw the post and uh, yeah, amazing it. man. Is it, the funny thing about that is um, I met Katie, my partner, in week one. So when I moved in January twenty twenty, so like if there's anything around taking a chance and making an opportunity, you never really know how life's going to play out from it. So. 
yeah, moving has worked out well professionally and personally. That's fantastic. God, look at the smile on your face. <laughs> <laughs> that probably changed Beaming. in a few weeks. <laughs> yeah. The wedding plans already started. Could try some but, really yeah. difficult questions for you. <laughs> <laughs> so before you before you went out, and we'll t- we'll touch on New York, but before you went out, you 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 did it in in England first of all. What 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 set you up? What was your motivation for yeah. setting up? What was the programmatic advisory? Yeah, it's um, well, twenty sixteen. I was just turning thirty one, and I was thinking. If now's not the right time to start a business, it never will be. And so one, like personally, overheads were super low. Like I was renting an apartment in Oval with a friend and didn't have much risk sort of financially, had some stuff saved, etc. And then just a business opportunity, you know, like 2016, programmatic was exploding. Um, the advice that was being given to advertisers was hugely conflicted. You know, you had you know, deals that people have with Google or media owners. So you're like, well, is the advice any good? Or is it, you know, just to make some money on the back end? And so those two forces sort of came together and I was like, I need to do this. And just sort of made the leap. And then for the first probably year, year and a half, no idea what I was doing, to be honest. You know, you get like letters to pay your VAT. You're like, didn't know that was coming or like, <laughs> a bunch of stuff like corporation tax in the first year. I was like, didn't expect that. And just sort of found our way, really, worked out our offering, worked out what we wanted to do behind sort of the essence of like impartial advice. And that sort of sort of impartial advice in then programmatic, now digital, is still what we stand for. You know, whenever I talk to a client, it's like, you can trust us because our You have no vested interest on where it goes. No, right. And we're 98% employee owned. So we have no outside shareholders who would dictate anything that we should do, which we don't want to do. Yeah, we've got a great great culture. We have great people. We have had great people. Um, we have amazing clients. We have some you know, some difficult ones at times. But yeah, it's all about just trying to make the best recommendations possible. Can we, can we step back just one bit further then and, and look at the actual term programmatic? I mean, I've always struggled with it. It mm. felt like an adjective and that needed something to come afterwards. But, you know, but programmatic is, is what it is. Um, what does it mean to you? How can you define it? Yeah, for me, it's the data and tech and digital advertising. Um, simple as that. So the, the, the challenge you have even with that definition is, oh, does that include Facebook? Or does that include search? Or posters. Or, yeah, exactly. Now, like digital audio and even TV, right? So um, our focus has is, is always been on, you know, how do you have, like, the data strategy and infrastructure, the technology strategy and infrastructure, just to do good advertising. And, uh, yeah, and that's obviously grown. The definitions can get in the way sometimes of progress. But um, in general, I think it's better understood now. Yeah, I, I agree. I mean, I look at it as it being um, automated media trading using live data. Um, and I don't know whether that's right or not, but it kind of suits me. But then when you start hearing about other media, so out of home, for example, going programmatic, then I wrestle with, are they really? Yeah, yeah. It really, it's one of those things, it means different things to different people, I think. But so long as there's progress in doing better advertising, and if people want to believe that technology is the way you do that and data is the way you do that, then I think programmatic is a good catch-all term. And it's beautiful that you are advising people on how to do it because the you know you go to something like the Mexico, which which has a place and it does really well, but you look at it and you think, gosh, these what seven huge aircraft hangars here, all full of people talking about where their position is in the the programmatic pathway. Do clients have a clue? 
Yeah. You know, they need a you to be helping them through that jungle, don't they? I think so, yeah. I mean, you know, a, a marketer has so much to do. Their, their actual job role is so challenging. Um, they've got to do, you know, creative and media and, you know, sometimes it's digital transformation and, you know, working with their agencies, et cetera, um, and making sense of what's available to them and how best to leverage it is what the business is built on. And I think if I was in their position, well, who am I going to trust to help me? It's a company that doesn't have any conflicts of interest in that decision-making. And so we've never jeopardized that. Like every time someone says, oh, what if we, you know, if you get us involved in this pitch process, you know, we'll give you a success fee or finder's fee or kickbacks, whatever it might be. It's like conversation just stops there. So like, we, yeah. don't, we don't do that. Yeah. We never would. And you can't. You can't ever do it. Otherwise, you'll be dead in the water straight away exactly yeah exactly that and sometimes you know i know other companies say that and i you know just through inner workings of chatting with people over beers you know there's some dodgy dealings going on behind the surface <laughs> but i you know I, I like to think the marketers can look me in the eye and just go well i believe that guy like i can happily you know I and mean, we've never had anything to say otherwise and, and never would amazing but how, how do you then how do you see into the the supply chain? How do, how do you have access into that to be able to give advice back on what the right stack is? Yeah, it's it, it's it's interesting with consulting because you are kind of removed from the day to day of what's going on with campaigns, which is you know, has some negatives. You know, maybe you're not most as most up to date to an update Google makes or the trade desk makes. But what you, the benefit is, you have time to think strategically around what is the right approach. You know, you're not just going through product features and you know, running campaigns, you're really thinking, trying to think strategically about what's best for the client. So we have a lot of meetings and we run a lot of processes. We also see quite often um, how agencies are doing things, what's good, what's bad. Um, and then also we actually, so we have a training site called TPA Academy. So if you go to tpa.academy, we have about 10 hours of free content on programmatic there and more coming. Um, we've got about 2,000 members. It's kind of all free. It's what we give back to the industry. Um, but we also run our own campaigns. So, for example, we just did a... You know, we saw these challenges with the programmatic supply chain around where does money go, and everyone's talking about it. We're like, well, we'll, we'll, we'll run our campaigns. We'll get a DSP. We'll partner with an SSP. We'll take the log files and match. So I think to sort of more succinctly answer your question, it's, one, just thinking about it as opposed to just like going through day-to-day -day product features and two it's like data it's like getting into the data like i always say like data trumps opinion um so but you need access to the data to make those decisions oh, absolutely right and it's clearly flourishing because successful in england and moved over to new york how has that move yeah, it's been good. It's um, and you've already said that you know it, it, you landed on a week later, yeah. everything changed. But <laughs> yeah, lifestyle wise, yeah. Uh, the best thing I've ever done. Work wise, it's definitely been difficult. Like the, well, you know, I really underestimated the with consultancy. You know, a lot of new business comes from referral, uh, word of mouth, people you know move jobs, and a lot of it's trust based. Um, it's a hard thing to sell because it's kind of intangible, Um so. It's definitely been a bit slower from a new business perspective, but but no, some good stuff, but probably we thought it'd be a bit quicker. And then time zones. Holy shit. Wish someone had told me how hard it is to be five hours behind the UK. Like, yeah, it can be like quite punishing sometimes. You'd be on calls at, you know, six in the morning, seven in the morning. Um, so, yeah, but then, you know, 
the opportunity in the US is just huge. You know, you, you come across advertisers that in the UK you never would have heard of, and they're spending, you know, 50 million a month. It's insane, isn't it? Yeah, it, it, it is. But then you think about how big that market is, you know, just A, land mass, B, population. If you want to get cut through, you just and you believe advertisers are a way to yeah. generate returns, you have to spend that much. Yeah. And so, yeah, the scale of it all, it's, 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 it's so exciting, but it's also somewhat overwhelming on some days. So are you, you're in New York State? I, well, I live in New Jersey. Okay. So when I first moved, I lived in Manhattan, and you get no space and you pay an amount in rent you want to cry every month. So I thought, well, this can't be sustainable. So I moved to uh, Hoboken in New Jersey, which is just over the water in the Hudson. We're right by the, by the ferry. Uh, love it. Absolutely love it. And are you looking at like uh, national brands in the US or international brands or is it kind of regionalised into state brands? Yeah, our approach has always been national, um, more more so the international brands than the domestic ones. Um, but, you know, the reality is lots of our client base concentration is on the East Coast. Um, I think that's just more by chance, to be honest, than anything else. No real strategy behind that. Um, but I can see why when companies go out, you can start to see them scaling into other states because in the UK, you have a handful of hubs, you know, let's say Brighton, London, Leeds, Manchester, Edinburgh. Over there, you've got, you know, basically at least the 50 states, plus in some states, there's multiple. So it's very distributed. So if you want to get coverage, you do have to sort of commit a bit further out. But for us and our size and kind of what we do and our ambitions, there's more than enough in sort of New York and the surrounding areas. Does that then make your job massively more complicated? Because we've got GDPR in the UK, but you've got different regulations in different states in the US, haven't you? Yeah, it's impossible, yeah. So so stick to one. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's hard, it's definitely hard to it's definitely hard to consider all the nuance of every state for sure. But you can definitely set some sort of directional ways that it's going in the US. So where it is today, particularly around the usage of data, you have California, kind of one of the early earlier adopters of some sort of privacy regulation, and then some other states are coming behind, um, and then a lot of others that don't. So I want to say it's like 10 states now that have something, something somewhat data-related. So it's not overly challenging to keep up all the nuance. You can definitely set directional things for like the domestic, for the you know, American advertisers. Um, but yeah, it's definitely interesting to keep on top of. And one of the things I've definitely learned since I moved, and when I first moved, I was just comparing everything all the time. So I'd be like, oh, this ham sandwich I just bought in Pret is 25 times bigger. But yeah. <laughs> and like 30 times more expensive than the UK. And you're like, well, actually, that's just such a poor way to think about it because in the, everything's contextually relevant. Like the reasons why house prices in London are more expensive than house prices, say, that I know, Manchester. Yeah. It's because of what's around it, the jobs, and et cetera. It's the same with everything. And so I used to always complain this was better in the UK, it's better in the US, or vice versa, whatever. Uh, and now it's just like um, understanding like the context of it all. And that's why I try not to compare GDPR to like CPRA, for example, in California, because Europe has a very different you know, outlook on uh, users and protection versus the US. The first time ever that a sandwich has been used to illustrate the difference <laughs> between the two regulations. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> there we go. That's really a blog or something. <laughs> Other things change, though, when you move. So obviously you've got time zone differences and you're talking about supporting the UK from from East Coast. How, how does that impact on the culture at TPA Digital? 
Yeah, it's it. That's such a good question because it's way more than I thought. Thank you. No, <laughs> um, because I think when you are a founder-led business, culture is very different to say one that is not. So whenever I've worked at like previously in agencies, and the culture really is somewhat democratic. You know, I, I don't, don't know the CEOs and stuff. They're passionate about the business, but it's not their own. And so culture is kind of maybe a bit looser, I'd say. When it's founder-led and I'm living it every day, and as of my team, the culture is really important and people look up to you and how you set standards. When you're removed by five hours and it's mostly remote, culture definitely changes. And that definitely, uh, for me, I think it's been for the better. I think when it is a founder business, I'd love to get your thoughts on this as well, is you can be almost a bit restrictive and a bit more like, well, no, I wouldn't do it that way. I wouldn't do it that way. Well, actually, what I've learned in uh, kind of in the move is giving way more autonomy to the team. And the kind of the way that I think about it is they're kind of culture shareholders, as in like everyone's got a, a part to play in the culture you create. And if you do, if you all do it well, then there's massive returns for you. If you all do it badly and one underperforms or yeah. one doesn't kind of fit your values then you struggle but yeah i definitely think i mean it's definitely changed before the better well i think it's a great thing to do because it, it, it says that the culture should be the thing that happens when you're not there mm. because it will be the team you know outside of your eyes doing it but it's also a really strong step towards you not being super controlling o over yeah. everything and letting everybody behave and act and you know deliver as they need to yeah you look at the the outcome rather than the um the processes that they go through uh, yeah they form their own a hundred percent and that the yeah relocating is an easy way an easy way to do it because if you try to do that when you're actually with people in person every day it's very very hard yeah um and i think and i think i've definitely been guilty of historically of not giving enough control to people to make their own decisions and you know and then what happens is people come keep coming to you and asking questions because they feel like you're not giving them the accountability to themselves and so that's definitely changed and as I say, definitely for the better. You use the word accountability there. Yeah. So there, there are there by any chance a couple of extra words you want to mention <laughs> right now? <laughs> yeah, we have um, we have three values um, at TPA. We have number one is accountability, which is you know you you set your own standards. Um, if you're you know you take responsibility for what you need to do, you know how you live and, and breathe every day is your decision. The second is courage, and that is where. You should be supported by the business to think outside the box, do what you think is right. Don't, you know, go if, if you can make a big decision, like you're supported. And the third one is empathy. And, you know, which is the under, understanding the feelings of somebody else. And that's really important, I think, in a, a just, you know, humans, uh, but B, particularly in a business, because, you know, sometimes we speak to clients if you go into a conversation and all you have is the answer, the answer, the answer, the answer, you're not listening. You're not taking on what's Sorry, what? <laughs> you're not taking on like what they want to say. That's great, by the way. Got I'm it done. in. I always got to get that one in. <laughs> <laughs> and oh, um, you can come back when you're laughing. <laughs> it sounds genuine. And they, uh, and I just think, yeah, trying to like start a conversation or an engagement, not with any preconceived ideas on what you think is right or wrong but you really try to have an open dialogue. And you know, sometimes what you find with these values is to get presented once in a company meeting and then it gets forgotten. They're on our internal homepage. 
I send an email like every Monday, which focuses on one of the values that week. And just like reminders that, you know, be accountable, you know, make courageous decisions and really try to interact with people in a way you really try and understand where they're coming from. And it's got a nice acronym there as well. Ace. Oh, well, Ace, doesn't it? Yeah. I mean, could it have come from a poker player, perhaps? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's funny. The, I was chatting to Adam beforehand, and we, this process wasn't just something we came up with. This took like three months of a ton of research. Uh, I have a, a coach, like a personal coach, who happens to also be a poker player, and they really understand uh, like you know, game theory and incentives. And um, and it was just interesting like how actually putting those values in place has A, made us more cohesive as a team, but B, if we're hiring and bringing people in, there's just expectations. So people sort of, we know what to expect, what we're looking for, and vice versa. They know what we're expecting from them. Amazing. Yeah, it's worked pretty well. I mean, I was surprised, I mean, sometimes you see these cultural things, you think it's a bit fluffy and flimsy, but this has been game changer, like genuinely game changer for us. Amazing. I mean, it's great to hear that because I, I do think that, the, you know, you, you've got to get your positioning right and you believe in your positioning at the beginning, but you, because you're in it, you know, woods and trees and everything, you can't necessarily see different perspectives and you're trying to do the right thing. You might not be getting there, and I've always resisted getting something in to to reevaluate those. But if you've got a good story there, then I'll I'll take that as a recommendation. Yeah, I appreciate it. Yeah, and you know, I think um, doing the right thing, which um, say that as many times as you like. <laughs> but like, I always think, like, well, how do you do the right thing? Exactly. And you, you you have to live by that. I think you have to have some values in place, and you have to, you know, from a, from a business perspective, structure yourself in a way where people are incentivized to do the right thing. So you say for us in practice, we don't do deals. So when people are making the decision, they're not thinking, ah, oh, I need to spend more with YouTube this month to hit our deal. That probably is not the right thing for the client. It's not the right thing for the client. And it's it's infuriating when we see it. Mm. And you you can do it, you can you can see where the deals are even just by looking onto an ad dynamics run or you know, Nielsen and, and seeing where there's an unnatural massive spike of spend. They go, why? Right, right. <laughs> and I also think sometimes, you know, I found this in previous roles where I didn't have time to challenge what I've been asked to do. And like, so we're consultancy and uh, most consultancies have like a utilization percentage, so like how much of your time has been sold. So for example, lots of the big companies aim for like 77%. We aim for 50. The reason we do that is so that we can give our team time to think, to breathe, to think about what is the right thing. I don't care if that's not billable or billable or whatever. It's more around giving you the space to research and think about stuff and and also in the workplace, not be stressed, because sometimes when you're stressed and tired, you can't make good decisions. So everything we try and do at TPA is, is structures and incentives just to try and do the right thing. Amazing. Oh, and I'm so pleased. And it's so lovely to see you, you know, you're beaming and smiling about it. <laughs> I when you, you've always been known as the dude that loves programmatic. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. And to see you living it now in multiple continents is superb. Yeah, I really do. Yeah, I mean, you know, we... You know, as I mentioned, we rebrand as the TPA because we do more than just programmatic. We do search and social in particular. But my my love is programmatic. I'm obsessed by it. And it's because when I was at college, I did a BTEC in computing. So I turned down doing A-levels because I didn't want to do three different subjects. I doubled down on computing. And then went to university, doubled down on computer science. And then I got into advertising. And I found this sort of more technical way of doing it. I was like, this is literally a dream for me. It brings together, I love advertising. I love technical things. And that's why I'm obsessed with programmatic. It was great. 
I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Wow. Nice. Yeah. What you're hearing are the sounds of people everywhere putting on Bomba socks, underwear, and T-shirts made from absurdly soft materials that feel like plush clouds. Yeah, that plush. And the best part, for every item you purchase, Bombas donates another to someone facing homelessness. Bombas, big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST, code ACAST. So we're kind of 12 years on from what I sort of think as the, the inception of, of programmatic media planning and buying. Um, that's quite a long time. There's been quite a lot of development. There's been quite a lot of money in it. Um, what's next? Yeah, I think a uh, couple of big trends. Uh, number one is just more digital advertising opportunities. So TV being one, out of home being another, audio. You know, I used to have this slide in all my presentations around um, car dashboards being bought programmatically. Once anything goes digital and advertising, programmatic is going to be the means in which buyers and sellers connect. So that's interesting. Like when I first started, I never thought I'd be considering TV advertising. And so that's super exciting. And then the second one is definitely brands taking more control. And, you know, historically people thought that meant in housing. Uh, it doesn't. It just means having more visibility into what's going on. Some of the, the decision makers at brands now are getting you know, more and more shrewd and aware and they're working with agencies in different ways, which for me is far more interesting than just entirely outsourced. And then the third one is, you know, final one is AI. I mean, I studied it when I was at university and did a bunch of... Did you get it to write your thesis? I wish I, you know what, I, wish I did. <laughs> it might have got a better result. Um, and uh, yeah, now, you know, the proliferation of what we're seeing and it's been on the precipice for a long, long time. But now, you know, I've, this morning I was wondering if we could write a chat, uh, a chat prompt to match like log level data from two platforms rather than having to do it manually. So there's things like that where you start to see this this sort of change in um, the data, in particular, AI in particular, being this sort of like outsource specialism, no one understands it, to actually being integrated into like mainstream decision making. I think it's coming. Um, I don't think we're there yet. The, 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 there's a lot of chat GPT GC, um, a conversation going on at the minute. And I saw a really interesting post, and I think I may even mentioned it before, um, about it being asked a riddle. 
And the riddle was Mike's parents have four children. Three of them are called Adam, Wayne and Dave. What's the name of the fourth child? And the the result coming back was you have not given me enough information to, to say. So I don't feel that it's it's the be-all and end-all anything. But to be used, how you say it, about matching log-level data, yes, absolutely. You know, that must be uh, an execution that's easily doable, which will save you how much time? Yeah. M- masses. Yeah, the... the, the... I mean, we could. I'm sure we could do an entire another podcast about this, but uh, it's an exciting area to explore, and I'm really looking forward to seeing how the use cases for it sort of shake out in the coming years. Can I just actually potentially? I, I hope he's listening, but shout out to John Walsh at the minute. That's kind of he's got heckles now that we're using the term AI. That I know, I know he hates it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the uh, the sort of sentient being versus like machine learning. You know, it's quite a, it's a big old spectrum, but you know. Somewhere in there is something which is different to them do today. Can I, do I dare ask this next question? Um, given that we're in this kind of space at the minute, but are, are we ready and able to talk about blockchain? Is it a thing that's going to work for programmatic now? Um, I don't know. I, I feel like if it, if it was going to, it would have bit, had more adoption by now. Because I remember you and I recorded a podcast. It was 2018, I yeah, think. Yeah, what's that? Five years ago. Jeez. Yeah. And we did a white paper and we laid out the, you know, the there's four use cases for blockchain in at then was just programmatic and it was around like fraud payments, um, building other other stuff. And I don't haven't seen anything get huge adoption. Definitely some definitely some pockets of innovation. Yeah. And definitely you know people who know you can see opportunity, but. Will we be next five? If we record another podcast in five years' time, has it moved on? Uh, you know, questions, question marks on that one. I, 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 I share the scepticism there. I think, I think it, it's a wonderful solution if it, if it ever can scale to do it. Yeah, and I don't, I just don't see it. You also need. It's it's very difficult for it to work in just a handful, a handful of companies. You kind of need in an industry. It's got to be everywhere. Yeah, yeah. and you know, some of the incentives by some of the industry stakeholders and the biggest ones are not aligned with you know so it's a bit more transparent absolutely and of course the industry is growing at such a scale that thinking now and stopping now and restarting and you know and and putting a i don't know what you call a protocol in place for for everybody to live by it's just not going to happen yeah yeah okay all right should we move on (laughs) yeah So we talked about the future of uh, programmatic. Um, I do still feel that it. Hopefully, the next, the future of programmatic will be adding an extra word to the end of of the describer for it. But uh, what's the future of TPA Digital? Where are you going to go? Yeah, I think um, our service areas are expanding pretty quickly. So as I mentioned, you know, we all we did for five, five years was programmatic, and then the last year and a half, we've done more and more digital, um, often led by what our clients were demanding from us. And I think where we go is continue. I mean, we will never sell out this impartiality. So, like, um, we'll continue uh, making the best recommendations to clients. But I think where we go, it starts to become a bit more technical. I think what we find with brands is they want to test things, but they don't have the resources or don't have access to the platforms or to the data. And so the example I gave earlier where we did the log file matching, I can see our services becoming more and more technical um and less strategic over time um because i think as i say data trump's opinion and i you know strategic recommendations and strategic consultancy is often quite you know recommendation based some people would be like oh i've got a different opinion um and i actually think when you start to prove out what you can do in data 
I think that's where we'll start to broaden ourselves out to for sure. Changes the entire industry. You know, for for everything, because I I still feel that a lot of this is gut based, yeah. and yeah, you know, and bias based, and belief based, and historical based, but not actually ever looking at data. Right, hundred percent. Sometimes I'll hear something from a client, I'm just like, where have you heard that? Like, how? Who has told you that? Because that is not even like subjective. That is categorically wrong. And so, rather than me getting frustrated and waking up at five a.m. writing an angry blog about it, which is my therapy, um. <laughs> Let's put, get some data behind it and let's have that mindset as opposed to sometimes you see, particularly in big companies, a lot of sort of fractious behavior and arguments. It's opinion versus opinion. It's like, well, why don't we just say, what's the hypothesis? How do we test it? And hopefully like a company like ours, who's removed from the day-to-day of spending millions of pounds in big media campaigns, we can just run those isolated tests and and see i mean we have we have we have no interest in the outcome <laughs> like it's just whatever it does it does and uh, that for me is uh more interesting um and more exciting were you always going to run a consultancy do you think no no i, I started consulting when i was at uh, my last role in dentsu we launched a consultancy within dentsu and i did one project for a very big brand within the uk about uh, should the in-house um and i loved it like consultants get really bad reps um probably in some cases rightly so but the work that we deliver and the the delivering the work as a consultant is so rewarding because you're just giving everything you want to recommend everything you think they should do if they don't do it they don't do it but like all you can do is just go here's what i think you should do and uh yeah i didn't don't think i was destined to run a consultancy but then as soon as I did it for the first time, I was just hooked. I just love the idea of just me telling you what I think you should do. It's just like, it's a, it's, it's exceptionally liberating. Without then having to do it. Exactly, exactly. And I don't care. Yeah. Like, I literally don't care if it doesn't get done. Um, it doesn't bother me. Uh, other people I speak to, they, they need to see it through to the end for whatever reason. Uh, but for me, it's, yeah, it's just this weight off my shoulder. It's like, I thought all my thinking and opinions and, research and desk reading and whatever and go these are the three things you should do or this is the way you should do things for the next two years don't do it don't do it whatever um yeah i love it uh, it's, it's that sort of strategic thinking and finding pockets of data to support it just suits my personality profile perfectly and you are beaming as you are speaking <laughs> i am i am this week and i've been back in london for a bit <laughs> got your if jet you, lag done <laughs> yeah if you asked me the back end of last year you know going through the pandemic and then the economic sort of uh, challenges that we have. And as a small business owner, that does take its toll for sure. Uh, but now the outlook just looks much more positive and, you know, just uh, my the life as well that I've now sort of created within the US seems more settled and, uh, yeah, lots of, lots of good stuff to look forward to. Would you go back to a younger Wayne if you could and say, do this now? No, no, no. I, I, I always think you just live your life with the decisions that you make in the present. So... I don't think I, I don't regret anything. I don't wish I did it earlier, later. It also just comes together, you know. And then you just, so long as you had the opportunity to, you know, make of what you want to make of yourself. And I'm privileged enough to be in a position I can. Uh, yeah, that's the best bit. Wow, amazing! Thank you for, no, for flying all the way from America. Here. Yeah, exactly. There we go. <laughs> Appreciate it. Thanks, Adam. <laughs>
We'll see you soon. Let's go for a pint. <laughs> Thank you for listening to Let's Do the Right Thing in association with Radio Works, the UK's largest independent radio advertising agency. Let's Do the Right Thing is a Maple Street Creative production, devised and presented by Adam Hopkinson. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. If you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. Use the Stamps.com mobile app to mail everything you need to keep your business running with up to 89% off USPS and UPS. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Use code PROGRAM for a special offer. That's Stamps.com, code PROGRAM. ACAST powers the world's best podcasts. Here's a show that we recommend. Kyla Tsenas. Kyla Tsenas. I'm Kyla Tsenas, and I have been training a global community of women since 2009. I've created a brand new podcast, Sweat Daily, to help you level up your life and reach your health and well-being goals. From fitness tips to food that fuels you, meditation to motivation, we've got you covered. Sweat Daily, the happiest, healthiest, and most confident version of you awaits. Available on Apple Podcasts and wherever you get your podcasts. Acast helps creators launch, grow, and monetize their podcasts everywhere. Acast.com.